just after you cross the bridge that comes from an island called Cam Nam, across into the old quarter of Hoi An, you're greeted by a lot of smells, a lot of sounds, some of them distressing, others of them loud, a lot of people yelling, bartering, passing you, you chickens. louder than that. <laughs> the market it's 8am it's peak hour i'm gonna try and make it from one end of the market to the other hold on tight let's see what we can do it's funny walking through the market here in fact anywhere you walk through vietnam the ground is often quite wet so you've got this thank you you you're trying to negotiate between these lovely fresh fruits and vegetables and also what we've come to call street juice which is random water that's come from god knows where it could have been swept out of shops but it's sitting right next to the fresh fruit and vegetables and meat so that adds a certain charm yes <laughs> charm um how does it smell gab for the most part i can smell a lot of mint what about you what can you smell mostly street juice <laughs> you're so unimpressed by the market <laughs> sweet smell of street juice. I can still feel it burning what's left of the hairs in my nostrils. It's also in my socks and the pores of my skin and yeah, it's pretty much everywhere in Vietnam. Welcome back. It's episode three. I'm Nick King. And I'm Gabby Lyons and you're listening to Where Are You Taking Me? If you haven't already, check us out on Instagram so you can follow along on our trip around the world. That's at Where Are You Taking Me pod. And if you've already subscribed to the show, thank you. We have one more favour to ask. If you wouldn't mind jumping onto iTunes and leaving us a review, that would just be awesome if you have a spare sec. So we've spent the last month travelling around South Vietnam. We're currently in Hue. It's a Sunday evening. The sun has just gone down. You can hear the city start to simmer as the street food carts come out. The little guys on their plastic stools with their beer there all setting up. The guy next door with the angle grinder has finally stopped working. <laughs> they work all the time here, even on a Sunday, all day, every day. Mm-hmm. They are so industrious. Uh, Hue, though, the former capital mm-hmm. of Vietnam for some time. Great place to visit if you're really into seeing uh, cultural ruins. A lot of history happened in the city here. And we're not too far from an area called the Demilitarized Zone, mm-hmm. which is basically the line that was drawn across the middle of the country during the war here in Vietnam. Above it was the north, the bottom was the south. Lots of heavy fighting happened there, so that gives you a bit of an idea of where Hue is. So, are you ready to retrace our adventure, Nick? Let's do it! My name is Lee. Yes, Lee, that's, that's my family name, but uh, easy for customers to call my name. What is egg coffee? What is it? <laughs> uh, egg coffee is uh, for sure that's uh, one kind drink, traditional drink, Vietnamese traditional drink. Where did it come from? Why use egg instead of milk? Exactly, it's from Hanoi. Yes, before the 1975, my country separated into the two earlier. Condensed milk and fresh milk were so expensive. And the uh, one the, in the 1946 is uh, one man, the Vietnamese man, he worked for the French uh, restaurant. And he changed that, uh, he talked that to the use egg instead of milk for the coffee. Can you tell us how you make egg coffee? Yeah, so I mix, I use egg yolk and sugar. Okay. Yes, and I have a two quiz. Maybe it's a take uh, five minutes to get some mixture. Yeah. It means a creamy mixture. Yeah. Yes, and have a two boy black coffee and and the pour inside. Lee's one of the very first people we met when we got to Saigon. We met her several times again because I kept going back for that egg coffee. 
You were a fan. You were a big fan. I'm going to miss it when we leave. Mm-hmm. You not so much, though. No, I wasn't so keen on the egg coffee. It was kind of like drinking a meringue. And uh, I don't know. No one wants to put a straw into a cake, do they? I'd give it a go if I thought it was worthwhile. <laughs> if, if, if I thought I could pull it off, I would definitely try it. Of course you would. <laughs> we kicked off our trip in Saigon. This isn't your first trip to Vietnam, though. Mm-hmm. No, this is the actually the fourth time I've come to visit Vietnam. But previously, I've only ever visited the north. So this was my first time in the south. And I'm not going to lie, Nick. I was a little worried about Saigon. I've heard nothing but horrible things. A lot of crime. I've heard stories of slit pockets, pinched bags, just dodgy dealings all around. Travelling through the Philippines and Borneo, we met a lot of other travellers that have already been here, and we got to the point where we thought maybe we won't even go there at all. Like, mm-hmm. I put that proposition to you. What if we started in the north and went south? What if we just started somewhere that wasn't Saigon because people were putting it off? But then it turned out we actually quite liked it. I really loved Saigon. What did you like about it? I think I enjoyed... It was the chaos. It was the chaos that you expect to find in Southeast Asia. Suddenly there was beeping everywhere you looked. Every sound was coming at you from every angle. And then you had fur on the street corner that was cheap as chips. It was, what, 20000 That's like a dollar to buy a bowl of soup on the side of the road, sit with locals. Everyone was really excited to have us there. There are beautiful old buildings everywhere if you're prepared to look up. I don't know, it just gave me a much better impression than I think I was expecting. We ended up extending our stay too, didn't we? Because we were going to stay for like three days or three nights or something. We had two nights booked when we landed and we were expecting that we'd jump on a bus or get a bike and keep on moving. We said for a week. And there's still things we didn't get to do. No! (laughs) One of the things I wanted to check out where we were there, though, um, was some of the war history, obviously. Mm -hmm. And when I think about Saigon during those war years, I get this very specific image that comes to mind. I always think of the city at night and it's kind of heaving and humid. There's the neon lights and lots of young American troops who are ready to cut loose. Some of the girly bars, they're pumping out Creedence Clearwater Revival. (laughs) Some of the fancier bars, you probably find journalists, they've got their cigars and their cocktails. So when we were there, I wanted to check out some of these places and find out if they still existed. I came across an article by a fellow called Steve Somerville. Now, he's written this piece for the Baron.info, and in it he checks out some of the bars that are still trading, including one we visited called the Majestic. As you're walking towards the Majestic, it's this massive, decadent, white, French colonial-style building with archways the whole way around the corner. I should mention this was built in 1925, but as you walk through into the foyer, it's butterscotch-coloured walls with beautiful white trimming and red carpet. There are bellboys running around with the double-breasted suits and the little hats and beautiful chandeliers everywhere. And I mean, Nick, we stepped off the street having walked around all of these haunts and trying to retrace these steps. So we were pretty gross. I wasn't going to go in there because it looked so flash and Mm -hmm. we looked so feral. (laughs) And you pushed us to go in. I really wanted to go in. I had to know once we got there because it did feel like we had stepped back in time. We were ushered towards the elevator, which was like going into Charlie and the Chocolate Factory's mm-hmm. glass elevator with gold so trimmings. There was a gentleman in there who pushed the button for us. He knew exactly where we were going as well. And as the doors opened, it was black and white tiling, and there was someone there to greet us and lead us through to this cherry wood bar. So you arrive at the rooftop bar, and it's open air. There's a view across the Saigon River past a few low-rise buildings and swamps that look straight out south towards the Mekong Delta. And in the article that I mentioned just a moment ago, there's a paragraph that he's written here that paints for me this amazing picture of what it must have been like to sit here and take in that view in the early 70s. So he writes, The rooftop bar was also a favourite with the war correspondent crowd. 
It was best at night when you had a grandstand view of sporadic action in the darkness across the river. Glass in hand, you could judge the tempo of the war by the level of contact out there, the odd salvo of VC mortars, shelling by distant American artillery, bursts of machine gun fire from circling US helicopters. Sometimes the show would be enhanced by parachute flares floating slowly down to earth, fitfully illuminating the flat countryside. If only all war reporting could be so comfortable. You passed me that article, Nick, as we just sat down at the rooftop bar with an old-fashioned in hand, and I absolutely got chills. I got goosebumps. I imagine except for the city skyline, that view hasn't really changed. So when you read that and you're sitting there, I immediately felt sucked into that moment Mm -hmm. in the early 70s. If you continue reading the article a little bit further down, it starts to discuss this supper cruise junk that would float along the river at night called the Mai Khan. And this restaurant was actually blown up uh, by the Viet Cong in 1965. I believe 48 people died. But since then, it has been rebuilt, or a newer version of. And that started to move down the river as you and I were sitting there, Nick. And like you say, I instantly got transported back in time. I would love to have seen what the Majestic would have been back in the day with a little brass band in the corner and, like you said, soldiers... You're going back there right now, aren't you? I am. It was one of the best (laughs) days in Saigon. Hey, we're going to pop the link for that full article up on our Instagram account at Where Are You Taking Me Pod. If you'd like to read it, and I recommend you do, Mm. there's some other bars mentioned in the article that are still trading if you want to make a day or a very big night of it. (laughs) It's up to you. Our responsibility ends here. Cocktails are very affordable. (laughs) Here. I said here. So, Nick, we've decided to travel from Saigon heading north and, of course, here to Hue, right on that southern border. But a lot of people we've been meeting have been going in the opposite direction. It seems that you need to make that choice as you start planning Vietnam. If you come into Vietnam, you're not just going to stay in one city. You're probably going to travel up or down, and you've got to decide how you're going to do that. Popular options include motorbike or public transport. And we caught up with a couple of other travellers to find out what they chose and how it's worked out for them. So I'm Valentine from Switzerland. And I'm Hugo. So we decided to travel by motorbike. I would say mostly for the freedom it gives and for the adventurous side with all the unexpected events happening constantly. And for you, Hugo, why choose to ride a motorbike? Well, I have a little scooter. It's actually easier to drive as a motorbike. It was my first time um, driving motorbike here. I don't have enough uh, motorbike license in my own country. <laughs> what have been some of the challenges so far while riding through Vietnam? Well, I would say my main challenge was when I broke my chain, like the transmission chain between Dalat and Nha Trang. I was lost in a mountain, like the sun was setting. Luckily, we actually broke it just next to four Vietnamese bikers. Ended up with a team of like eight people. Also, also people were stopping to try to help us. I don't know why, but like being a foreigner here makes people really helpful. Thanks there was no language issue when you were trying to get help on the side of the road? Uh, yeah, it was, especially because in this area there were no internet, no connection, uh, nothing, so no way to use Google, Google Translate. Uh, but still, you can communicate with your hands. For you, Hugo, what's been the biggest challenge being your first time riding around as well? Yeah, I think for me was, uh, our first ride was going from uh, Ho Chi Minh City down to the Mekong Delta, Kanto. It's a really big highway with tons of trucks, bikes, anything with two, three wheels on the way, people coming backwards on the highway. It was really tough and crazy. Choosing to ride around Vietnam, do you think it's the best way to see the country? 
I definitely think it's the best way. Yeah, same for me. I just regret to have maybe took a too cheap motorbike, <laughs> thinking I would save well, money. <laughs> in <laughs> fact, you're not saving any money because you have paid every day in your repair shops to fix things. Like, really, every day. Yeah. Yeah. No, but yours were really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think you had as many problems as I did. Okay, maybe. 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 <laughs> We've been here for a month and we're traveling for almost two months. Tell me about how you're traveling through Vietnam and how are you moving around the country? Uh, mostly by bus. We took night buses, so some of them were quite an experience. They forgot Camille once and uh, she was going out for, uh, to the toilet. And yeah, the bus just started without her and she had to run to catch it in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere. I have no idea where we were because yeah. we've been no. on the bus for two hours and so I was just, <laughs> just had to run for my life, I think. <laughs> I'm struggling of how to explain what a night bus really is. Smelly. <laughs> Depends on who's next to you, yeah. It can be smelly. And if you're like over six feet, yeah, I don't know. Just uh, hope that uh, the p people around you are, uh, how do you say, patient? That's not the most comfortable place. Like, my head goes just over sometimes. And We're too tall for the Asian-sized beds, I think, so... <laughs> It's interesting. I would definitely try it. Like if someone were to go, I think it's part of the experience. <laughs> we stayed for longer at a few places. Like in the north, we stayed, I don't know, 10 days. And at first it was supposed to be like five or something like that. So that would be, that was nice just to have the uh, possibility to like extend our stay over there. But at, at the same time, now we only have like three weeks left and we see like how many places we want to see and we want to visit and we feel like we won't be able to do it anymore. We should have stayed three months in Vietnam. So that's how it worked out for a few of the people we've met along the way. Every single traveler you meet in Vietnam has a story. <laughs> we chose Method B, we took buses, we've been taking public transport and just like everyone else, it hasn't always gone to plan. Where are we? <laughs> um, last I remember we were in Kontum getting onto a sleeper bus, which is kind of like a whole bunch of bunk beds slammed into a bus. We were at the back over the engine. Next thing I know it's 4.30 in the morning and you're prodding me, telling me we've arrived in Hue, is that correct? The ticket said this, this journey takes 11 hours, and really it takes about 8 hours. So now it's 4.30 in the morning. We're in a city we don't know. At a bus stop that wasn't even on the map. We can't check in till 2pm. It's too early for coffee. So we're sitting on some steps to a closed up ticket station. It's pretty romantic. <laughs> That's got to be up there with one of the best dates we've ever had. <laughs> I would like to point out that it then started to rain, so we ended up sitting there till near seven in the morning. We sat there for three hours, Nick. Clearly we weren't in a sane place because we chose to walk three kilometres in the rain. Like, oh that was God. not the time of day to be frugal. Mm -mm. Uh, but here we are. Here we are, and when we did get to our homestay, they just looked at us like sad, sorry, wet rats. Look, that was the number of buses we'd taken. That was one of those night buses mm -hmm. where you, you've got to sleep on it. How did you find that experience? 
I'm little-sized, so it helps when you're little that you can fit into the seats. Uh-huh. Like, I wouldn't do it again, but I know we we're probably going to... We said that after the first one, and then we took another one. I know, and that's just it. I know we're going to end up catching these buses more often than not. The one from Kuntum, I actually found more comfortable than the one we'd caught earlier that was from Nha Trang to Hoi An, and that was 10 hours. Ugh. I think I was only comfortable because I fit in the seat. You didn't fit in the seats. No, I didn't fit in the seat, plus my seat was sort of broken. Yeah. So if you imagine a row of five (laughs) sort of really average recliner chairs across the back of the bus, my feet were facing the aisle. Mm -hmm. But because I'm too tall for the seat anyway, every time the driver hit the brake, I would just slide forward and almost off the seat. It didn't help as well that then, once we started to take off from Contum, people started to sleep in the aisles. They'd put down their own little yoga mats and have a sleep, and you had a lady's head under your feet. Some poor little Vietnamese lady had my (laughs) stinky feet in her face all night. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every time we've been on a bus, though, there has been some drama drama mm-hmm. anything you'd like to add to this drama oh boy so we wanted to visit this town called Delat, way up in the mountains really beautiful we'll get to that later but the bus coming back down towards Natrang on the coast was just the windiest most horrendous mm-hmm. road i don't think the bus drivers here know how to go any slower than 70 around those corners either i think what concerned me the most was as we were stepping onto the bus, we were all handed little plastic bags. I didn't know what that meant until we started going around those corners. What followed was a symphony of vomiting. Because oh. the thing is, when one person starts to hurl... Oh, stop it! It's, it's like a domino effect where other people start to hurl, and then next thing you know, everyone around you is throwing up, and... Uh, that was our trip to Natrang. It ended with me just curled into your chest crying because I just couldn't deal with all the sounds around me and the smell. Oh my goodness. I'm just going to say, if you are a sympathetic vomiter, please do not catch the bus from Delat. Anyway, <laughs> can we-, we move on from this topic, please? It's too many bad memories. So the bus is nice and cheap. It's obviously your cheapest way to get around. Plus, if you are taking a night bus, you're saving on a night's accommodation. Saying that, if I had a motorbike license, I definitely would have done it that way. My name is Yur. My, uh, my name is Yuan. My name is Fuang. What are you doing in Hoi An today? Saying Hoi An because we um, have a challenge and uh, we talk with a foreigner. Can you teach me some Vietnamese? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Hello, um, Xin Chào. Yeah. And um, goodbye, Tam Biet. Tam Biet. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And how do I say um, thank you? Um, cảm ơn. Nice to meet you. La, uh, nice to meet you is rất vui được gặp bạn. That's really hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once more, slowly. Rất vui. Rất vui được gặp bạn. Yes. Được gặp bạn. Yay! I can sing for you. Okay, sure. I will give you a name song is Beautiful Sunday. Beautiful Sunday, okay. How's that go? Sunday morning with the luck. I think I take a in the back. Hey, 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 it's a beautiful day. 
Ah! <laughs> they were the sweetest kids. How cute was that song? It was very cute, but then she asked me to sing and it just got really awkward, so we didn't want to play that much of the tape. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't sing for her, would you? These gorgeous children just wanted a song. Man, why are you going to throw me under the bus like that? No, no, we stopped talking about buses. <laughs> Explain what happened there, though, because that's a pretty common occurrence in Vietnam. So we pretty much rounded a corner and there was this whole group of kids in their bright red T-shirts with little red caps. And they just walked straight up to us and said, can we just speak to you for a second? And you were a little off put by this. Mm -hmm. You don't like kids at the best of times. Hang on. No, it's true. <laughs> you don't like kids at the best of times. So I, I took one for the team and I said, sure, I'll sit down with you. And I sat in the curb with these kids for maybe a half an hour and we just had a chat they just asked me questions i asked questions back these kids had actually driven into hoi an from 180 kilometers away and this by was no a means sunday local. too this wasn't a school day they, they'd no. sort of given up their weekend to come in and practice english mm -hmm. which really surprised me to speak to the teacher that was with them who said that a lot of people won't stop and have a chat with them and this is something to keep in mind for if and when you come to vietnam this happens all the time this is not at all a once-off you will have people come up to you all the time who just want want to speak to you and yes okay sometimes they're trying to pull you into their shop or they're trying to sell you something that's that's going to happen no matter where you go if we're honest but in Vietnam a lot of people are trying to get into hospitality they just want to better their skills and if you're walking down the street and you're an opportunity for them to have a chat I think it's worth taking the opportunity it is actually really helpful to them. The language barrier in general in Vietnam hasn't been nearly as difficult as I thought it was going to be. Uh, the amount of times I've ordered things off a menu using a charades-style tactic and it's been absolutely fine. Something we've actively tried to avoid no matter where we've been so far is using a translating app, mm. which is like your Google Translate, so you can, you can speak into it, it will convert the language and it will project that sound back out in their native tongue. This is something we really didn't want to have to use, was it? No, we have avoided it unless somebody used it on us first. Like if the local people used it first, we didn't feel so bad using it because we didn't want to be offensive. You've or started lazy. the game. That's exactly right. <laughs> it's on. Now, you developed a very special relationship with somebody entirely over Google Translate. Take a listen to this. Do you still play volleyball now? You don't look a day over 25. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell me, who was that? That was my adopted mum. Yes. <laughs> so we stayed at a fantastic homestay in Kontum uh, with a lady named May. And May doesn't run the homestay. In fact, her daughter does. Her daughter speaks in fluent English, but she happened to be in Saigon for a conference for a couple of days, left mum to take care of the business, and mum spoke no English. She doesn't speak a lick of English. Mm -mm. Not a thing. She, she could say hello and more rice. And apart from that, there's nothing else there. She busted out the Google Translate on you, which sort of shed that taboo nature that we've been sort of tiptoeing around. And as a result, we actually managed to form a really lovely relationship. Now, you've thrown out this word homestay. Can you explain what a homestay is for anybody that might not have experienced one before? We don't really have homestays back home in Australia. I don't know where else in the world you find them. In Vietnam, though, they are everywhere. Yeah, and What's I would have go? thought that a homestay, ordinarily speaking, I thought homestays were 
more a case of like a high school exchange scenario. But since getting to Vietnam, we've stayed majorly in homestays where it is, for the most part, a family has opened up their doors, but they will have multiple rooms, whether that be a dormitory, a private room, it may be a shared bathroom scenario. The great thing that comes from sharing a home with a family is it meant we sat down to family dinners, we got some local knowledge. It was a really, really special experience. One of the most rewarding things I've found with staying at a homestay is actually meeting the people that run it and own it, hearing their story. A lot of the time they're just in love with the town they're running their homestay from. And with that in mind, we'd like to introduce you to Bin. He owns and runs the homestay we're staying at now in Hawaii, in fact, where we're recording this podcast. <laughs> And he had a really interesting story of how he set up his very first homestay. I, I had a homestay in my mom's house for more than a year. And um, I, after a year doing that, we really like um, our activity, hosting friends from all over the world. So we decide, decided to extend it to our new uh, homestay here. Some important thing, things that in the homestay can offer that in the hotel they cannot is the first thing in the, the hospitality and the, the, pers- the personal touch. In here we, we want to um, have our guests to feel like friends in the family. What do you get out of the homestay experience? Uh, it's more than just income, it's about knowledge. We learn a lot from guests because our guests are from different backgrounds, lots of ideas in our, in our daily life. I think Hue is um, underrated by, um, by tourism uh, industry because Hue has very much to offer, like the history. I think one thing they should maybe focus on is getting the word out about that rice pancake you sent us to try the other day. <laughs> <laughs> They're so good. Can you describe it very quickly for us? We call it a ban kwai. It's a, a traditional name here. In the old days, it's, um, it's made for the, um, the king and the Mandarin family here. And it's made by egg and by flour and some shrimp inside. And see, normally it go it go with nem lui, which is the minced uh, pork wrapped it in uh, around the um, lemon cross stick. Good combination. Yeah. And how many of those can you eat at a time? Uh, oh, for, uh, four. For, no, no, for, for four. me, uh, more than much more than four. <laughs> <laughs> so normally, when where I do, when I go with uh, with uh, with my, um, my 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 wife, so I order two 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 separate dishes for my, myself and yeah. about five nem lui. <laughs> Bin has been the most fantastic host, and I have to say that uh, his wife's pineapple jam, one of my new favorite things. But I want to take us back up to Delat that we've mentioned a number of times to introduce you to the very happiest man in history. I, th- I think his name says it all. Say, so, my name is Mr. Happy. I'm the owner of the, this homestay. It's my homestay called Dalek Mr. Happy Homestay. It's had been opening for almost two years. I love met the people in the world. They're all friendly and nice. So far, I really enjoy my job. So I don't have much time for myself. Most of the time I spend for pay a lot of attention to my guests and then look after them well. The first hostel I wanted to come to got the interview. So I was nervous because I saw many backpackers, the tourists. I didn't know what, what was backpacker. And I saw them were standing outside. I was a bit nervous and like scared to go to get got interview. And I rode the bike up and down many times. And finally, I was confident to go in. And next day, I got to try a work. I do everything. I have done everything, like receptionist, housekeeping, cooking class, the family dinner with my guests. Oh my God, I have been doing so great. So Mr. Happy, you have been known for your fantastic karaoke. What is your favorite karaoke song? 
Oh really? <laughs> so far, I have so there are so many karaoke, my favorite karaoke song. I would say the my favorite karaoke song is Uptown Girl. That song is my favorite. Behind us as well, there is a wall that's covered in posters from all of your different guests from all over the world. When are you ever going to take a day off so that you get to go and visit them on your holidays? I would love to traveling. The problem, like, I love traveling, especially in European, like England or Australia. Um, but like, you know, I don't want to move. <laughs> I enjoy here meet the people who was my guest before. It's nice to meet them and stay with them, show them me around and yeah, have great time with them. At the moment, I think I'm happy enough staying here. Now, when you start planning your trip to Vietnam, it's pretty hard not to think about modern history and the major events that have shaped the Vietnam that we now know. You can watch as many films and Netflix documentaries as you like, but it's not until you get here and you start speaking to the people of the South that you realize just how many small towns were drawn into the war against their will. There's a discussion in this next story about mental health issues and also trauma related to the war. If you feel this might affect you in any way, you might want to skip ahead by around about 10 or 11 minutes. To get to Kontum, you're going to have to step away from the regular Vietnam backpacker trail. You're looking at a seven-hour bus journey from Da Nang, and it's about 13 hours from Ho Chi Minh City. For most travellers, Kontum is a fuel stop, or it's an overnighter if your motorbike's broken down. But for Gabby and I, it was one of our top destinations. Are you ready? Yeah. Con is village in the Pana language, our villager. And Tum is the lake. Because before we have many lakes around Kontum. Villager living by the lake. That's the meaning of Kontum. And at the moment, the population about 500,000. 50% are the hill tribal. There are eight different groups, eight different languages. And 50% are the Vietnamese. So it's a mix-up between many different cultures, like a garden with many different kinds of flowers. I think most of the tourists who come to Kondum is to learn about the culture, to learn about the history. Can you take us through Kondum throughout your life? So as a teenager, what was it like to live in Kondum? That is a wonderful time. You can walk by the barefoot on the countryside, on the country road. The children can play the kite, the blue sky, very beautiful. And on the river in Kondum, clean like the, the eyes of the children. That time in Kondum is a real beautiful jungle. We wanted to meet Hyun. Born and raised in Kondum, Hyun has led an extraordinary life. As you may already be able to tell, he is a romantic and a poet. With Tolstoy and Garcia Marquez as two of his favourite authors, he tends to be a little more elaborate with his descriptions. But with this romanticism came an incredible illustration of how the war altered life in Kontum. When the war began, Hyun was 14 years old. And I belong to the South. So, no choice for us. When we were nearly 15 years old, we have to join the SEP Defender Unit. And they trained us very short time, like three months maximum how to use the grenade, bayonet and carbon and do petrol around the village. 
with a very short time of training, it's no experience, very easy to be, be hurt or to be shot or be killed. In the morning after we, we went to the high school, how can we study mark, uh, math, uh, mathematics or geography or history? We feel very sleepy and we sleep on the table. We will wake up when we hear the sound of the B-52 drop in the countryside and break the window glass in, in our class. And my childhood is passed by in the, like a nightmare like that. Very sad, very sad. With Hyun as our guide, we retraced the steps of soldiers through battlefields, where today you can find bullet casings, the contents of ration packs, and even shards of aircraft debris scattered across the ground, like litter on a city street. About 10 meters, that means B-52, the water say carpet bomb, that means everything. So these are both craters here that we can see in front of us? Everywhere here. The bunker or fox hole. The bomb drop here so very accurate. In front of us here there's one bomb crater which must be 10 metres wide and maybe 3 or 4 metres deep and maybe only 2 metres beyond that to the left is another one of equal size and this just keeps going. For me the, the distance between two bomb craters uh, tell me that this one is B-52 because the B-52 is very very settled. 50 meters, 50 meters, 50 meters, 50 meters. I mean, after the NVA overrun, they don't care about anything. They just want to destroy everything. From the south, we, we stay in the school. We learn that the communists are the monster, the devil. If they, they come, they will shock your blood. They will kill all of you. They are very bad people. They are cruel. That's propaganda, okay? And from the north, they learned that the American invaded the south. They come to make the southerner people very hard, no food to eat, no freedom. That, that is the propaganda in that type of, from both sides. And the civilian, like uh, in the middle, they don't care too much, they just want to be alone. Every day, every day in the village, People die, people killed by the misfire. Many, many families, they come here to look for the remainder. Maybe their son, their relative. And uh, last year they found out two over there, North Vietnam Army. Move here, move here. So what is it you've just found? The one, the most dangerous one. What is it? We call it, uh, in Vietnamese, we call it Bomb B or butterfly bomb. When they drop a bomb, a big one, uh, spread into 700 small ones, like the fruit, and they have uh, the rotor. So it spins on the way turn down. Around, turn around. And sometimes it's not enough to circle. It's not exp explodes. Still on the ground. Then many children, they were born after the war, they don't recognize the weapon. They play with that one. And for one hour, two hours, they make enough circle. Kill them, explode. That is an unexploded yeah. bomb. They let there forever, maybe 10 years more, it could be decay or something like that, but 
that's still very dangerous because inside still have uh, the DNT or C4 inside. How many of those are out there now? Do we know? No, nobody know. Nobody know. Until now in the school, they don't teach the student how to recognize the weapon. You see? Yeah. They still play with it. When the war consumed Kontum, Hyun was no stranger to tragedy. He lost his brother, 30 of his friends, and witnessed the death of his nephew. The first time I saw my nephew die in the arm of my mother, I don't have any feeling of scare or sad. That time, the people, everyone, like a robot. It's not often Hyun takes a couple under 50 on one of his battlefield tours. In fact, most of his clientele, they've been here before. This tour only for the, 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 the American veteran. They come to visit where they were during the war here. And in about 40 kilometers from here, near the border, there are many American bases around here. For me, I think about them like a human. And sometimes I think about them like a victim of the war. Because I met many, many uh, soldiers from the south. They say nothing. They keep silent. But the American veteran, they are, I, I don't know, for me, I think they are so sensitive. And they get the, I don't understand, the BDSD, psychology. Yeah, yeah. They came to the former battlefield. They grew on the ground. They vomit. They cry. And they call, John, come back, move back. David, come back, move back. And they cry. 15 minutes later, 20 minutes later, they say sorry to me. And I say, what? You don't need to say sorry. Nobody condemn you. And why you think too much about yesterday? Why not the moment? Or maybe tomorrow? We just talk like that. And after the two, I recognize they have a very painful in their soul. But that's their way. For me, and for Vietnamese, they have a, a way to solve the problem. We forget it. Or we try to forget it. Maybe sometimes it works. More than 40 years have passed since the war in Vietnam ended. So we asked Huynh, how do the South Vietnamese people look back on the war today? Many American veterans feel sorry because they dropped the bomb on, on Vietnam because they kill many people in Vietnam. But the people in, Viet in the South Vietnam, they think they should say sorry because they abandoned their friend in danger. They betrayed their friend in danger. They kicked their friend in danger. That's very, very clear in 1975. We called for help and they dropped the bomb on our head and they, you abandoned us. And after that, you know what happened to us, to million people. That's the truth. The truth is the truth, even to 100 years more. Do you consider yourself as an optimist? The Vietnamese, they are very flexible. <laughs> they, if we have a saying that uh, we know how to use a small blanket for two. So in the war time like that, we, we also have a some peaceful day. And we enjoy the moment. Okay, tomorrow what happened? Let it be. Of course, the tears mix up with the smile in that time. And that's why we survive until now. You're forever smiling. <laughs> 
xin chào tôi là Gabriel tôi ở Con Tum well uh, how can I say about myself I used to be a carpenter farmer teacher gold rusher and now I am tourist guide I don't know what will happen to me tomorrow I love the nature I love people my name is Huynh H-U-Y-N-H Gabby, we've been travelling across Southeast Asia for the last two and a half months now and I don't think anybody's affected me quite like Huyen. We do have to say a very special thank you to Huyen Thank you so much for sitting down with us and speaking to us, sharing some of your life, some of your stories and stories of your town up there in Kontum. We managed to spend a number of days hanging out with Huyen and even visited some of the local tribes in the area. Sincerely, I think it was one of our very favourite parts of the trip thus far. Huyen, again, thank you. You're a living legend. Gabby, this has been a very busy episode of the podcast. We'd, we'd logged so many interviews and bits of audio, bits and pieces. We decided to take almost like an entire week off and we stopped down in Hoi An, mm. which is on the bucket list of, I think, everybody coming to Vietnam, whether it's for one day, two days, a week like we spent there. Tell us a bit about Hoi An and the attraction. What, what gets all of the tourist numbers from all over the world? Hoi An is simply beautiful. It was the old port town. Now it is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. You've got about 800 buildings that are centuries old that you can explore. It is probably the Vietnamese town that you have seen in just about every Instagram photo. Bright yellow buildings, lanterns strung the whole way down the street. As the sun goes down, the whole town illuminates, so mm -hmm. lanterns are their big thing. Mm -hmm. so, so, based on the recommendation of another traveller, somebody we met along the way, Olivia, thank you so much. Thanks, Olivia. We decided to do some arts and crafts. You love arts and crafts. I am terrible at arts and crafts, or am I? We'd like you to meet the lantern lady. My first lantern I make, I think I make a... Uh, a round big one, red color. I take uh, the big one, I think I take about 17 minutes. 17 minutes? Yeah, 17 minutes for the big one. I just made one and it took me two hours. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> if you do a practice long, long time, more, 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 so you will do like me. And are the lanterns used as part of any special festivities around town? Uh, yes. Uh, special about take holiday, uh, public holiday, uh, or the full moon. We always use the lantern. There's lots of different designs, different shapes. Do they have different meanings? Uh, no, it's just for a uh, nice, nice decoration. Just the color, that's the meaning. So Gabby and I have just spent the last two hours with you building lanterns. It's very important to know whose lantern was better. Um, I think you are better than her. <laughs> there was no money exchanged hands. Mine was actually just a bit better. You even offered me a job, didn't you? Yes, yes. you can apply here. I can apply? Talk here. Well, I've got my resume in the lantern I've just built. Thank you so much for having us here this afternoon. It's been oh, a pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you for your coming. I'd like to thank, uh, firstly, my mother my father. I'd like to thank God. I'd like to thank 
my Chinese DNA for birthing me these nimble lantern-making fingers. <laughs> did you hear that, Gabby? Mine was better than yours. I did something better than you. She offered me a job. She wants to take me under her wing. At this point in time, you can go take your job. I'll keep doing the podcast and travelling the world, okay? Mm-hmm, You're cool okay, with that? Yes. Yeah. yes, jealousy is a curse. If you do go to Hoi An, though, I recommend you, you go and hang out with the Lantern Lady. Seriously, I found it really therapeutic. We yeah. sat there and had some coffee and built these, these cute little lanterns over a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Okay, Nick, we are about to jump the border over to Cambodia for the next couple of weeks, only because we didn't really do our visas properly. Yeah, we are doing a southern Vietnam episode. There will be a northern Vietnam episode to come. The visa we applied for only goes for a month. It was going to cost us a small fortune to extend that visa, hence the reason we're doing a border jump. Mm-hmm. We will be back to the rest of it later. So if you're wondering why we're, we've cut the country in half, that's it. Check your visa. So we are off to Cambodia. Before we go, though, your mate, Mr. Happy. Mr. Happy! He has uh, recorded a very special karaoke version of one of his favourite songs, Just For You. Please enjoy. You've been listening to Where Are You Taking Me? I'm Gabby Lyons. And I'm Nick King. Thank you for joining us and listening to our episode from South Vietnam. You can find more from us on Instagram at Where Are You Taking Me Pod. But seriously, if you like it, please hit subscribe wherever you're downloading your podcast from. And if you could leave us a review too, I know it's going to take a little bit of time out of your day, but we would really appreciate it because that definitely helps us get the word out there. Original song K22, which was featured in today's episode, is from Aussie songwriter and producer Electro. You can find more of his music on your favourite streaming services. We'll see you <laughs> next time. Oh, shit. See that? Big one, huh? Big fucking snake. Really? What? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw it, alright. Shit myself. <laughs>